This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. We begin with a follow-up to yesterday's story about hospital overcrowding. We told you that the Hospital Association was going to Queen's Park today to ask for a funding increase of more than $1.1 billion, that's billion with a B, to deal with overcrowding, inflation, and growing demand for hospital services. Well, today we learned that the Wynn government's changes to Ontario labour laws will add at least $100 million to those hospital costs next year. The CBC reported that a copy of the OHA's pre-budget submission noted that the bill's passage means, I quote, another significant cost pressure has been placed on the hospital sector. The legislation, as we know, will push the minimum wage in Ontario to $14 an hour, and also requires all employers to provide staff with 10 days of personal emergency leave each year, including two paid days off, and it will also force companies to pay part-time and casual workers at the same rate as full-time workers if they are doing similar jobs. Now, I'd like to hear from you if you have a comment on this. Perhaps you are working or worked in a hospital um, or what you think that this is just an added pressure on uh, a system that is already very, very much under pressure. Um, We were talking to lots of people yesterday. We could not get to all the calls, so we are also interested in your overcrowding stories uh, from hospitals, or even if you had a good story about uh, the situation in the hospitals. We know that the doctors and nurses and the other staff really are doing their best and delivering uh, great service under very trying circumstances. The uh, numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, let's go to Dr. Sean Watley, President of the Ontario Medical Association. Hello, Sean. Hello, Libby. Thanks for having me back. Okay, thanks for coming back. So what do you make of this, that with all the pressure on the hospital, uh, that uh, the government's new legislation, uh, I guess called the fair wage legislation, is is just a, another significant pressure? Well, I'm really glad that you raised this issue. I've worked for many years in a large acute care hospital, and we see the exact same thing whenever there is an arbitrated labor settlement or if there's a large wage increase for the folks who work in hospitals. As you know, hospitals spend 70% or more than 70% of their operating budget uh, on their staff. And, And I think that's a good thing. That's the way it should be. But when you increase wages for the staff without increasing the amount of funding that the government gives to the hospitals, then the hospitals are forced 
to face the difficult decision of how are they going to keep paying for the staff that they already have. And so what ends up happening is people get laid off. And so the most recently hired people are usually the ones that are told, you know what, we have to now pay everybody else more. So unfortunately, we can't extend your contract or you're going to have to you're going to have to find work elsewhere. Uh, now, um I'd just like you to describe how the ripple effect of this might be, because hospitals are unionized, and I would imagine that there there are not people there who actually make minimum wage. Well, uh, so very good point. Um, now, I can't speak to you, uh, and I can't tell you how many people in the hospital are currently making minimum wage. I imagine there are some, but... Um, when you increase the wage anywhere along the spectrum, so right now my employees in my little clinic, they're not making minimum minimum wage either. But I would be shocked if they won't be expecting an increase just because everybody's moving up along the scale. But it's not just about the people who may be laid off. The worry here is for patients and patient care. So we need staff to care for patients. And the numbers we use, for example, we talk about 2.3 beds in Canada per 1,000 population. So we're the 32nd place in the OECD. So what that means is we can only afford to fund 2.3 beds. That means we can only afford to pay enough staff to have 2.3 beds per 1,000 population. Germany has 8.2 beds. Japan has 13.7 beds per 1,000 population. So whenever you see these changes, and we're talking about hospitals asking for more funding, what they're asking for is more funding to provide more beds so that we don't see the hallway medicine that we've been seeing, for example, in Brampton Hospital, where there were 4,300 patients were getting hallway care over the last year. Well, it was interesting. Um, in question period today, Andrea Horvath brought up she she had visited sick kids, and uh, she said this. I found this incredible that the neonatal unit was at a hundred and fourteen percent capacity. I yeah. mean, you know, these. I guess uh, you know these tiny little babies don't take up too much space, but they need a lot of care. And and it just stretches the staff to the point of, of distraction, right? So now you're having to do more with less. Um, there was an article out of Hamilton just from yesterday talking about how their hospital was at 140% capacity for in their surgical units for the last few months. And this isn't even in the flu season, right? So if we have this capacity issue before patients really, really need the acute care, uh, I think we should be concerned. And, and so we've seen the 2,000 extra temporary beds that the hospital uh, gave us in the fall. Uh, it's, it's still um, not enough. As I've said before, we had 33,000 acute care beds in 1990. In Ontario this year, we now have 18,500. And in that time, our population has grown by 36%. So you can't keep cutting beds so much until you get to a point where there just aren't enough beds to care for the patients who need it. Okay, I'm uh, going to give the numbers out again because I would like to hear from people about their experiences with overcrowding and and what people make of this latest wrinkle that uh, the government's uh, changes to labor laws will add at least $100 million to the costs of hospitals, which they are now seeking to get at Queen's Park from taxpayers on top of 
everything else. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. I'm talking to Dr. Sean Watley, president of the Ontario Medical Association. And uh, Sean, um, we've been talking about how this affects hospitals, but I would imagine that if the labor costs are hitting hospitals, it's going to hit every doctor's office and clinic and and on down the line. Absolutely. You're talking about labs in the community, the urgent care centers, I I mean, the pharmacy that works in my little community. Everyone will be hit with this. And ultimately, it's the patients and the taxpayers who end up having to burden, uh, shoulder the costs. Either they're going to get hit with the costs or they'll have less access to services. And, And the sad thing about it is really this is all avoidable. If governments would just sit down with the people who are going to be impacted by these broad sweeping changes before they make the changes, then we could help government get it right. And so we can say, okay, this is going to impact our communities this way. Did you think about that? What can we do to mitigate that impact? But we don't have that kind of dialogue, and it's just so unfortunate. Okay, uh, let's hear from Sandra in Toronto. Hello, Sandra. Hello, Libby. Uh, Good afternoon. Um, I'm listening to your uh, guest speak on the uh, changes to the minimum wage and what's happening in the hospitals. I just want to make a comment. My late mother actually passed away in the hallway of a hospital. Oh, no. However, however, don't get me wrong here. It happened because it happened. Uh, I'm not, you know, blaming the hospital. It happened. What I want to, to, the comments that I want to make is your guest only suggested uh, making the little person pay. I mean, like letting go some some staff, letting go of some employees. That's totally, totally inappropriate. I mean, they fought so hard for this increase in minimum wage. He needs to look outside the box as well as other uh, directors of uh, health organizations. Look at the, the money that's being paid to the doctors. Look at that, because otherwise, if they don't start thinking outside of the box and stop tagging it onto the little guy, it's opening the door for, you know, two-tier uh, health systems. I mean, like the richer are going to be able to pay and be able to get to the head of the queue. It, it's just not right, in my opinion. Um, okay, I will comment. let uh, Dr. Watley respond to that. Thanks for your that, comment, Sandra. Thank that, you. That's a great comment. I'm so glad that Sandra said that. So I didn't want to give the impression, and obviously I gave the wrong impression, that I would be making that decision. What I was saying is that hospitals are forced, because they have a fixed budget, to figure out a way to continue providing care for their patients. And so when um, labor lawyers give large wage increases or government changes labor laws so that now minimum wages are going up, they have to fund the hospitals. Uh, They have to increase the funding to hospitals or else hospitals are forced to make the brutal decision of saying, well, if we have to pay more to the people we have, then someone's going to have to be laid off. And I was just relating my observations from years of working in a large acute care hospital that I've seen this happen over and over. We get a wage increase for everybody, and then we see a bunch of layoffs because well, the it's, hospital it's can't like afford it. Well, it's like something has to give, and right. uh, especially with uh, union contracts and, and other contracts, Um, You know, I think Sandra is right that it is the so-called little person or somebody who's who's down the chain who bears the brunt of it. Mm -hmm. 
uh, but it's kind of, um, you know, thinking outside of the box for another solution. I'll tell you what, what really disturbs me in all of this, Sean, mm-hmm. is that we know that one of the biggest problems is not hospital beds. It's that there are people stuck in the hospital who don't need to be there, mm-hmm. who could be getting much cheaper care elsewhere. But we still seem to be trying to solve this by funding more hospital beds. And and that, to me, is kind of... um not smart? Well, absolutely. And actually, Michael Dechter, um, longtime health economist, uh, you're probably familiar with oh, yes. his, his writing. Yeah. And he put a, an editorial in the Star just a, a, probably a month ago now saying that, you know, even these temporary beds is the wrong, uh, is the wrong solution. And I'm not saying whether or not I 100% agree with him on that. But to your point, absolutely. The answer isn't just to pour in capacity into the acute care sector. We also need to look at all the long-term care beds that we don't have anymore. And so we need more of those. My local hospital, we had our auditorium filled with admitted patients for so long that we just, the administration just finally gave up and said, we're going to have to renovate this space. We're not going to get our auditorium back. We're going to turn it into another ward. Um, So that's how bad things are right now in hospitals. Um, Got it. Let's take a call from uh, Rose in North York. Hello, Rose. Hi. Um, I'm a little bit furious with um, the um, what I'm hearing today that giving um, a raise of $14 to a person that works in the hospital, which you don't have that many people employed getting paid minimum wage in the hospital in the first place. Um, yeah, I think it's the other things. It's the ex- it's the extra days. I mean, I do, do you think they're not telling the truth about those numbers? I yes, I don't think so. I don't think it's the truth. I can't believe it. I just can't. Well, um, well, that's that's a different issue. I mean, that is from the Ontario Hospital Association brief. But uh, the, the the reason for my call is about the minimum wage. Uh, to have a hospital suffer so much by having an increase, I, I just don't believe it. Um, um, I don't think it's minimum wage with the hospitals because I am positive there are very few people who would make minimum wage. But as as Sean pointed out, is that when the minimum wage goes up, then uh, everybody expects a raise. And I think it would be also other provisions like having to pay part-time and casual workers the same as full-time workers and, and, and uh, giving them extra days. Well, I, I believe in today's, uh, you know... Uh what's been going on on in the news is we're just talking minimum wage only and um, we're living in a society that does understand this it would actually benefit the whole society um, if people did get a little bit more I mean the minimum wage you're talking about we're not talking about people getting $20 plus it would benefit the whole entire um, economy by people spending more not having to suffer and not um, you know when you do your shopping uh, for food, you'll be paying more, you know, buying more, so everybody would benefit in the long run. Um, you can't can't disagree with you there, Rose. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thanks thank for you your very call. Much for talking to me. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay. Uh, I mean, I I don't think that um, you know, a lot of people will favor the minimum wage, except I I would have to say this is probably an unintended consequence, Sean. 
Absolutely. And I'm really glad you highlighted that, Libby, where you talked about the 10 days of uh, the emergency care or the, the personal care. I forget the exact title they're using for it. And the fact that we have to, the hospitals rather, will have to pay part-time and casual workers the exact same wages as their full-time employees. So I think that's where probably the bulk of the cost is coming from. But we should also know that there are quite a few economic studies out there showing that when you arbitrarily increase the minimum wage for everybody in society, it doesn't always translate to a direct benefit to those folks who are making the minimum wage. Oftentimes that means fewer jobs at minimum wage because businesses can't afford to hire those staff anymore. And so it, we have to we have to look at at the whole impact of these changes. They can sound really attractive up front, but sometimes the un, unintended consequences aren't what we wanted. Mm-hmm. And uh, just uh, we we have to start wrapping things up, Sean. Uh, do you think that uh, the hospitals, if they get this increase they're asking for, are, are we are we going to see a solution? or a temporary solution, or is this just, you know, uh, we're going to have more of the same? Well, I'm glad you asked that, because uh, certainly funding is, you get to a point where the word they use, the hospitals are on the brink. When you get to the brink, I think you have to start talking about funding. But I would hope that we would have a larger discussion, because as you said earlier, it's the ALC patients or the patients who actually could be better cared for out in the community that are filling up the hospital beds. It's the way we flow patients through hospitals. It's the way we use our emergency departments. It's a whole bunch of things that need to be addressed. And the only way to address that is with a working relationship that the government can build with the doctors and the nurses and the hospitals and everybody involved in this sector. We haven't seen that robust discussion over the last few years. So I think we can do better. Okay, Dr. Sean Watley, thank you so much for that, and um, Merry Christmas if we don't talk to you before then. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. Thanks again, Libby. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.